Yeah, my name is Jeff Stein. I'm at my, um, my go-to uh, Taco Bell uh, in Washington, D.C. Ah, oh, they're promoing the new uh, grilled cheese nacho fries. Don't they look good? $4.49. I think I'll, that's like a pretty good deal. I like that. I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Are you eating with me? I think I am. This is the Post White House economics reporter Jeff Stein with Post Reports producer Alana Gordon. They are on what Jeff calls one of the most convenient reporting trips he's ever made to his favorite spot for lunch. To me, there's only like one correct, like objectively correct answer, which is the Crunchwrap Supreme. I've heard this about you. Yes. Add some guac. What else we got here? Two forty-nine for chips and nacho cheese. Two forty-nine for black bean sides. And look, sauce packets still zero dollars. There's a reason they're here on this fast food journey. Cheese quesadilla for five fifty-nine. Right? Like I, th- I could make a cheese quesadilla at home. See, I mean, if this is one sign that President Biden is in trouble for the re-election, it's this cheese quesadilla right here, five fifty-nine. for Jeff is. Yeah, that's me. Thank you very much. Yeah, this black bean Crunchwrap Supreme, six ninety-nine. Uh, that is seems elevated. I remember getting them from like three fifty, four dollars. But as with all economic data, it's like how much of that is false nostalgia for a different era of prices when my wages were lower. You know, we don't know. Beyond Jeff's love of Taco Bell, he has been reporting on fast food costs. There's been this big TikTok phenomenon about this, and economic debate is heating up about how people perceive those costs. I feel like that to so many Americans, fast food is supposed to be the thing that you can get cheaply when the budget feels tight. I think people are so um, price sensitive when it comes to fast food precisely because the big offering, the other big reason that they like fast food is because it, it is promising to relieve your budget. And if it's not doing that, it feels like something has been broken in the overall economic system. I think prices are way higher. I mean, just like, especially food now, food's way higher. Say if you just order a sandwich, just a sandwich itself, like it can be like pretty pricey. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Monday, December 4th. I'm Martine Powers, and I'm so happy to be back in the host chair, especially for a show like today's. I first heard about all this when these TikToks started going viral, and Jeff reported on it with the Post Taylor Lorenz. Then a political pundit accused Jeff of not knowing what he was talking about when it came to fast food costs, especially Taco Bell. It felt like the whole internet blew up to correct the record because Jeff survives on Taco Bell and Crunchwrap Supremes. He is known for this in our newsroom. All right, come to our, our prize. You know, it's been so long since I had one of these, like literally 48 hours. <laughs> It felt perfect for him to be reporting on the changing prices of fast food, what it says about how we view the economy, good or bad, and whether that matches reality. I'll let Jeff and my colleague Allison Michaels take it from here. And they start with a controversial hamburger meal in Idaho that sparked a big debate. All right, Jeff, you had me here at Viral Hamburger. Where does this wacky story begin? So in December 2022, 
a TikTok user named uh, Topher Olive went into uh, McDonald's in um, a part of rural Idaho, and he ordered a McDonald's meal, a novelty item, it's important to note, a smoky double quarter pounder with cheese, a fries order, and a large drink. And Mr. Olive was astounded by the price tag, which came to $16.10. McDonald's. So I get there's a labor shortage. I get there's wage increases and a number of other things. But $16, $16 for a burger, a large fry, and a drink. It's, it's just crazy. So it's $16. It does seem like a lot of money for fries, a burger, a drink. I can feel that outrage. I mean, it does seem like, like a ton of money. This is like really the tricky part because there is something real here, right? This guy was legitimately shocked by the price tag of his McDonald's meal. And I think a lot of us would say, that seems like a pretty pricey meal at McDonald's. But after that meal was posted online, it has had this unbelievable viral shelf life that to many people, you know, Democratic officials I talked to seemed totally disproportionate to one guy's one meal. And so... Even a month ago, almost 11 months after this guy's meal was posted, this story was still being picked up by more than a half dozen media outlets, most of them conservative, saying, look at how bad Biden's economy is. This guy, 11 months ago in Idaho, got one expensive McDonald's meal. And it's hard as a reporter, I think, because simultaneously, yeah, prices are up. People are legitimately upset about grocery prices. That is a very real issue no one wants to distract from. But is there an exaggeration effect that's being amplified here by social media where you can say, McDonald's has become completely unaffordable. Lately, people on TikTok and Twitter are sharing their McDonald's orders and something as simple as a Big Mac meal costs upwards of $16. This dynamic where we harp on and, and elevate and emphasize extraordinary cases has primed people, has made them in a position where they are likely to associate outlier events or extraordinary circumstances. While some are understanding that there is a labor shortage as well as rampant inflation across the United States, it doesn't make sense that one of the most universally affordable fast food chains in the entire world costs as much as an upscale meal. I mean, the price of a McDonald's burger has gone up, but it's not up, you know, three or four fold. It's up, you know, 10 or 12 percent or so, which is a lot over the last few years, but it's not the same impression that you would get as a lot of the videos and stories left you with, which was that a burger now costs $16, which is not true. So in this conversation, you've called this burger incident extraordinary or an outlier. So how does it actually fit into the larger context of the state of the economy? Is it indicative of the larger economy? What is the state of the economy? I personally find it incredibly confusing. <laughs> it's really hard to, to give a clear answer to that question. The state of the economy is pretty strong. It's pretty easy for people to find jobs. We're seeing a ton of people who are still interested in starting new businesses. And um, corporate profits are quite high. And um, by most measures, inflation is coming down significantly. The rate of price increases has quite substantially abated. In a healthy economy, what you want to see is people transacting money at a very healthy clip, to put it as simply as I can. And we're seeing that by so many measures. Businesses are investing, people are spending money in stores, stores are then taking that money and investing it and paying their workers uh, wage increases. And 
So you're seeing this very healthy effect where money is circulating at a rapid clip and it's raising people's wages and the overall amount of stuff we're producing as a country is going up. And yet at the same time, people are still unhappy with the way in which prices have increased over the last several years. And although the rate of prices increasing has come down, we're not at all looking at the prospect of returning to the prices we had before, you know, two years of massive inflation. And there's still huge problems with the social safety net. People really struggle still to get health care and housing and other sort of essential things that people need to live. In some ways, both sides are correct. It's so interesting. It's like you can be an economist who looks at all of the pieces of the puzzle and says things are great, and then you yourself go to, not to overuse this data point, but the gas station, or to buy some eggs, and you see the real effects of somebody in, the, in their day-to-day lives. And I'm wondering if there's a path sort of out of like this economic whack-a-mole where we solve some problems, and then we have these other ones pop up that feel really real for people's day-to-day lives. Yeah, I mean, I think the optimistic take is that everything right now seems to suggest that we're on a new trajectory where we've avoided an imminent recession, jobs continue to be plentiful, people seem to be acting with real economic optimism. And this is the point that a lot of Democrats, people in the White House will will point out to me and they'll say, if people are so upset about the economy, why are they acting like they're so confident in it? You see people still leaving their jobs at very high levels, which is a really good sign. And people are like, I can leave my job because I'm expecting to find more work. Businesses are still investing very heavily. That's a great sign. And consumers continue to spend very rapidly. And a lot of the economists are saying, people are telling us they're miserable. And if that's the case, and if that's based in real economic precarity, then why are they going out and buying so much stuff, even at these high inflation elevated levels? And yet at the same time, I like want to caveat all of that, because I think that is all true and a f- totally valid perspective. But by some measures, there is really very legitimate reasons for people to be upset. So, Jeff, I know you went with Post Reports producer Alana Gordon earlier to Taco Bell, a standout fast food restaurant for you. And um, you talked to some people there about how they felt about the state of the economy. What did you learn? You know, we met the, a few people. These two friends from Minnesota, I think, were perfectly illustrative of the dynamic here. Their names were um, Erica Sorensen and Bridget Bauer. They were actually in Washington to visit, seeing, doing some sightseeing. Do you mind me asking what you guys do? Are you? We're plumbers. Yeah. Plumbers, cool. Yep. First time at Taco Bell? No. <laughs> Probably my 500th time at Taco Bell. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and to them, they're both plumbers, and we've seen this explosion in sort of construction-related work and blue-collar work in particular is seeing substantial wage growth, the kind of wage growth that Democrats had really hoped for. And Erica and Bridget readily acknowledge that business is booming and they're doing super well at work. How's business right now? Good. Busy. Yeah. And yet at the same time, they talked to us, you know, immediately about how frustrating it is to see food prices go up in their community. I mean, just you go to the grocery store and you're like... Mm-hmm. Like a chicken breast used like chicken breast used to be like five ninety nine. Now they're like eight ninety nine, nine ninety nine, you know. I'm on like a mom's page on Facebook and people will talk about like what is your grocery bill a week? And like three, four years ago you used to be able to feed a family of four off a hundred dollars a week. You can't even come close to that anymore. It's like almost double that. 
and they felt like the prices of the place they were going to eat was were so expensive that they had to go to Taco Bell to sort of you know mitigate that on their vacation. And they were still upset that even at Taco Bell, they felt like the prices were high. Is this um, something that could affect your vote, your frustration about the economy, or you guys? Does that not really change how you think about politics? Well, I didn't vote for Biden anyway, so <laughs> it won't change my vote. Yeah. Yep. Same. I don't know. I don't know whose fault it is. I think companies are greedy. And who else did you talk to there? We also talked to a bartender and server at the Hard Rock Cafe in downtown D.C. named Raymond Sellers. I felt just just a little frustrated because, you know, you got like you have some people here who's very like who's really having a hard time. Have you noticed increases in your food costs? Like, does it feel like you're spending more money on food than you used to have to? Yes, most definitely. He seemed to share people's general frustrations with prices and talked about sort of how it had affected him and his family personally. You know, I try to, like, take care of my brothers, sisters, and, you know, my parents. You know, sometimes, like, they need the help of, you know, trying to pitch in for money. Because, again, how expensive, like, you know, trying to buy food for homes. He didn't really want to talk politics, but what he was talking about in terms of his frustrations with the economy was really a reminder of how so many people still feel very serious material deprivation and how hard it is for people to even feed their families and to make sure that people are getting uh, healthy and nutritious meals. The conversation with um, the two tourists from Minnesota was also a reminder of how even when people feel like they're doing well at work, they may not see that as part of a broader set of economic forces that they are benefiting from and may choose to instead just see the prices as something that's outside of their control. After the break, how the viral burger and other social media rants about the economy are playing into the 2024 presidential race. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. How much are these videos contributing to a narrative that Biden sits in this seat of being an irresponsible leader of the economy, especially compared to his predecessor. This is a huge, huge problem for the White House, especially as Donald Trump looks increasingly likely to win the Republican presidential nomination and is saying that his campaign will be focused on Biden's economic mismanagement. I have reporting that the White House chief of staff, Jeff Zients, has been convening meetings of top administration officials designed precisely to try to answer this question. What are they going to say about it? Because 
we're seeing Biden hemorrhage support among young voters. The New York Times had a poll that they released that was about how even most Biden voters, even most young people who voted for Biden, think the economy is poor or fair. And that is something that the Republicans see as a massive opening. And so the White House is trying it desperately hard to close it. How are the Republicans sort of playing on this public sentiment about the economy to their advantage? Yeah, I mean, the the right-wing campaign to take every instance of high prices in any sector of the economy and pin that on President Biden is a really scary thing, I think, for the White House because it's very, very hard to counter. People have, you know, I talked to one economist who said about our McDonald's story, he said, you know, people throughout history have spent too much on a burger. And normally when we do that, in normal times, we say, dang, I shouldn't have bought such an expensive burger. And now when people buy a burger that's too expensive, they are blaming the president because of this priming factor where they see him as being responsible for broad-based price increases. And so every outlier in the economy is now a talking point for Republicans. Everything is more expensive, a lot more expensive, actually, because of Joe Biden's reckless policies. It seems like virtually every day now, Trump is out there attacking Biden over inflation and the economy. On the campaign trail and in debates, Republican presidential candidates like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are relentlessly and constantly hammering this message that Biden's economy is bad. I'm going to take all the executive orders, the regulations, everything involving Bidenomics, I'm going to rip it up, and I'm going to throw it in the trash can on day one where it belongs. There's nothing good about Bidenomics. And if this is what the president wants to sell, I'll tell you, American families can't afford them anymore. There are even some Democratic economists who think Biden spent too much money in the American Rescue Plan in 2021. And there are very credible people who will argue that that is the case. Um, There are many other economists who are just as credible who will point out that, you know, in their view, that more than half of the inflation we saw was due to COVID supply chain issues and the war in Ukraine causing um, global commodity shocks and other issues that it's impossible to conceive of Biden having been able to avoid by sheer force of will. So there's no doubt that inflation would have occurred. Some people will say Biden exacerbated it, but even if the president had been, you know, the best tech professor in world history, we still would have seen some level of inflation. Yeah, and I just want to stay on this for for another minute because I think the narrative around a presidency's effect on the economy, it's just so pervasive. So, for example, I hosted this podcast about the Trump presidency for many, many years. And one thing that we heard from voters constantly was, well, Trump is great for the economy. The economy is great. He's this businessman. He knows what he's doing, and the economy is wonderful. And now we hear very much the opposite in lots of conversations with voters and in some of the polling that you've alluded to. Can you just— sort of compare the economic conditions under Biden to those under the Trump administration, just to kind of highlight how powerful a political narrative can be in shaping the public's understanding of Mm. the state of the economy. Democratic officials are very frustrated with what you just said, which is for really years now, going way back before Trump and Biden, voters seem to think Republicans are better on the economy. 
And Democrats think that this is obviously utter rubbish, and they think that their economic management is much better. They'll point to things like the 2008 Great Recession, which they blame with a lot of reason on the policies of deregulation under the Bush administration, the deregulation of Wall Street, although that happened under Bill Clinton. But this frustration is something that Democrats are quite upset about. The complication in the polling that they'll point to is that Democrats score better for caring about people's individual families, which may or may not be um, enough to get over this general sense that Republicans are better for the economy. I think Trump, for all his lies, frankly, about his economic record, did benefit from a pretty strong period in the American economy, especially in 2019, that he's promising to restore. And in that period, we saw quite healthy wage growth at the bottom and healthy general macroeconomic conditions without the inflation that has been so devastating for Biden's political fortunes. I think the optimistic story for Democrats is that we might be seeing something akin to those conditions in 2023. So maybe Democrats can at a minimum fight to a draw on the economy and let Trump's views on abortion and democracy and all that other stuff drag him down in in the presidential election. Now, to do that, though, Democrats are going to have to hope that voters are comparing Biden's inflation rate to the inflation rate of a year ago and not to the price level when Biden first took office. Yeah. And to that point, is the White House then looking at this $16 burger viral video and doing something to address it specifically? Yeah, when I talked to a, a senior Democratic official for this story, uh, he actually was the one who alerted me to the this burger thing in the first place. And we weren't even really discussing it for the story, but he was just venting because he was like, what are we supposed to do? You know, like have the president or Chuck Schumer do an address where he's like, actually, burgers mostly aren't that expensive. Like, it would look completely ridiculous. Um, but one interesting shift that has happened is that For all this summer, you were seeing the White House try to convince people that things were better. Wages are growing faster than inflation. Folks, that's Bidenomics. It's about growing an economy by strengthening the middle class. As president did this whole summer tour on Bidenomics and why it was working, why manufacturing was up, why, you know, job numbers were good. When President Biden and I took office, we decided to invest in the working people of America to create millions of jobs. And as today's jobs numbers make clear, Bidenomics is working. You know, the view in the White House was, if we don't go out there and tell people the economy is good, the void will be filled by people saying that it's bad, and that's what people will think. And my reporting suggests that there has been a shift, sort of tentative and not full yet, but a tentative shift towards instead saying, actually, maybe you have a point and, you know, telling the voters, you have a legitimate reason to be angry. And instead of saying your anger about the economy is wrong, the White House is now looking to channel that anger towards corporate America and towards Republicans to say, you know, the Republicans are the reason that the child tax credit expired and the Republicans are the reason that you don't have child care or housing subsidies and large corporations are the reason that price gouging is making your conditions more difficult. And so that, I think, is a really interesting dynamic. If Biden wants to go down that road, it could 
lead to a more sort of fiery populist message instead of the one that makes it run the risk of seeming like they're telling people that they're just not appreciative of their circumstances. Yeah, it sounds like the White House is really playing catch up here. (laughs) (laughs) That's my cue to leave. I was really waiting. Is that a crunch wrap for our time? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was very enthusiastic about my pun. So, Jeff, I don't know about you, but this conversation has definitely made me hungry. Uh, what What's going to be your approach to lunch today? Well, having already had Taco Bell twice this week, <laughs> if you include the meal that follows with the leftovers, can we cut this bit or are you going <laughs> to? <laughs> I think four meals cumulatively. So I think maybe a salad would be good for today. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for your time. I, for one, feel like I know a lot more about the levers of the economy and how this is all working. Uh, And I am going to definitely go grab something delicious after this. Thanks for joining me. Can I, uh, do you get my um, Crunchwrap pun? Do it again. All right, we're calling a Crunchwrap on this episode. Does that work? (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a Crunchwrap. I'm hearing the bell. I got to (laughs) go. Please end, end our end. <laughs> Put us out of our misery. Yeah, Jeff, you need to say thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It's always a blast. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It's always a Baja blast. <laughs> the Post's White House economics reporter, Jeff Stein, spoke with my colleague, guest host, Allison Michaels. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Alana Gordon. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Monica Campbell. It is also a special week for us here at Post Reports. I've been on a reporting break for a while, working on an investigative podcast that has just come out. It's called The Empty Grave of Comrade Bishop. Give it a listen. But I am back. And starting now, you're going to hear a lot more of me in the host seat. Also, it is the five-year anniversary of Post Reports. So whether you're an OG Post Reports listener from way back in the day, or if you've more recently come to our podcast, we are so grateful to have you as a listener. Thanks for spending your time with us. If you love the show, help other people discover it by leaving a rating on Spotify or a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. 